Hi, Leigh. Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm doing really great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, too. So, you know, with Thanksgiving just around the corner, I thought maybe we'd talk about pie. Oh, yes, please. The best part of any kind of holiday meal, I think. I agree. What's your favorite? My favorite pie is pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving. In the summer, it changes, but I'm super looking forward to a pumpkin pie. Mmm. Oh, that sounds good. How about you? Well, apple is probably my all-time favorite dessert pie, but there are a couple other little treats from uh, across the seas that come my way every now and then. Ooh, do tell. Well, so this time of year is really exciting for me. There are a lot of family birthdays, there's Thanksgiving, and then there's the holidays. So really, the end of October kind of kicks off a really festive time in my family. And this year, I've really been thinking a lot about my own heritage. And that's something that we're going to talk about and explore in another episode. But one of the things that kind of came to mind, I was looking around for desserts that were pretty common in South Africa, which is where my parents are from. But of course, a lot of that has been influenced by British food. And I came across the treacle tart, which I'm sure you know, is a favorite of one Mr. Harry Potter. So I really kind of got excited uh, to read a little bit more about the treacle tart. Can I tell you what I found? I would love to hear what you found. So the thing that shocked me, and I don't know why, but it did, was that treacle is basically the same thing as golden syrup and molasses. And I actually didn't know that at all. So basically, like brown sugar, treacle is a byproduct of sugar refining process. And I'm not going to get into the whole bit about how sugar is refined for table sugar and whatnot, because frankly, I don't understand half of it. (laughs) But the final end stages of the process as the sugar is finished being refined, it kind of comes into two parts where there's the, the particles, the crystals that form the sugar that we think of commonly as being refined white sugar. And then sort of a mother liquid that can be clarified, for lack of a better word, into either molasses or golden syrup. Golden syrup is just a lighter, honey-colored, and it's packaged and manufactured as such. And then black treacle, or basically molasses, is that darker, more viscous syrup that we also use in like gingerbread and ginger cookies. So the thing about treacle is it's, it's a pretty ancient concept. What we know as treacle now kind of is not what it originally was to begin with. So basically in kind of ancient history, how ancient I'm not entirely sure, treacle was known as a mixture of bread and honey and spices. And it was used to fortify the blood, but also used as an antidote for poison and snake bites. And it's funny because the word comes from like French by way of Latin, by way of Greek, basically at its very root, which I cannot pronounce to save my life, is that which concerns venomous beasts. So it's interesting that we've had this like long-standing thing about treacle being an antidote for poison. Weird little fun fact. Another little fun fact about it before I go into golden syrup is that there's a Cornish fisherman's celebratory drink called mahogany, which is made from two parts of gin to one part of molasses. So I'm gonna give that a shot sometime this holiday season. Do you shake it? Do you stir it? Is it 
I don't know yet. <laughs> I have to figure this out because I'm trying to imagine. I'm trying to picture mixing gin and molasses and it doesn't go well in my brain. Like not the flavor profile. I'm just trying to figure out how you how you do that. I don't know. Yeah, and and considering it's Cornish fisherman connotation, I can't imagine that they have a lot of fancy shakers or, you know, cocktail supplies. I don't, for some reason, I don't think they have like a fully functional bar cart hanging around on the ship. Although I could be wrong, and if there are Cornish fishermen out there who would like to let me know how this works, more than happy to talk to you. But I can imagine those flavors of like the juniper. I I like a junipery gin myself or an herbally gin so i can picture that with that molasses it's got to be like a little tart and a little brimstoney but being called mahogany it evokes that kind of like that warm dark wood and so yeah i'm i'm fascinated yeah i'm super interested i can't wait to hear about how it goes when you try this drink the mahogany but you're right i love that name too yeah so golden syrup is, is something that I've actually always had in the house. It's a big ingredient in a, in a family cookie dish, crunchies, which I've made for you before. Yes, they're delicious. I love those things. They are not at all healthy. They look like they are, and they totally aren't. But you cannot substitute anything for that golden syrup. You can't use honey. You can't use maple syrup. You definitely cannot use corn syrup. And please, people, never, ever, ever, ever try to substitute corn syrup for golden syrup. It just... They're not the same thing. But basically, it's a thick, amber-colored, inverted sugar syrup that made when refining sugarcane or sugar beet juice or by treating a sugar solution with acid. And that's what the internet has told me, and I'm going to believe it. (laughs) I always have a can of Lyle's Golden Syrup in my cupboard. And Lyle's Golden Syrup was first canned and sold by Abraham Lyle and Sons, now Tate and Lyle. But in 1863, Abraham Lyle became the owner of a sugar refinery in Green Rock, UK, as a debt repayment. So someone owed him some money and instead gave him a sugar refinery. Wow. Right? And initially at that time, that syrup that was the byproduct of the sugar refining process was just basically sold off as pig feed. Nobody really knew what to do with it. But Lyle thought that he could probably get it to work for human consumption with a couple of tweaks. And it seems like it took some time because it really got credited to Charles Eastwick, uh, a chemist working for Abraham Lyle in 1883, who formulated the current golden syrup recipe. And it's used as a sweetener for a number of treats, uh, crunchies, as I've talked about, which are made with oats and coconut and butter and sugar. And of course, the treacle tart, which is basically golden syrup, breadcrumbs and lemon zest in a short crust pastry. So I'm reading about this and it dawns on me, aha, I have golden syrup in my cupboard. And so I indeed ran to my kitchen earlier today and I made a treacle tart. And it was incredibly easy and a lot of fun. And so now I'm obsessed with this idea of treacle tarts. But before I go there, I wanna talk one more thing about Lyle's golden syrup, which struck me as really bizarre. In 2006, it received a Guinness Book World Record for having the world's oldest branding and packaging, which, sure, is kind of cool, right? It hasn't changed very much over the years. But what I never noticed before, and I have absolutely verified this, the logo is a rotting lion carcass with bees coming out of its body. 
and the motto, out of the strong came forth sweetness. And it's a biblical reference, and I can get more specific in the show notes if folks are interested. But yes, there is literally a caricature of a rotting lion on my Lyle's Golden Syrup. And I've never, ever noticed it until this day. (laughs) You do bring a lot of rotting stuff to us in our podcast <laughs> i know right <laughs> like like oh great Lace love this one. <laughs> so okay so treacle tart this is a famous british dessert recipe and i honestly hadn't had it before today i've always known about it when i think of treacle i think of alice in wonderland that's something that they talk about actually a great deal with treacle wells and that is what the tart is supposedly made out of that is stolen in Alice in Wonderland. It's a treacle tart. So the treacle tart dates back to the late 19th century, noted in a recipe by Mary Jewry, and that recipe may date back actually to like 1879. So kind of before golden syrup is really commercialized, but treacle very clearly available. And that original recipe seems like it called for alternating layers of pastry and black treacle. And treacle tart was really popular with poorer families. It doesn't require any kind of like fancy fruit or spices, just this syrup that is apparently pretty available. I think at this point, probably commercially refined better than pig feed, (laughs) but clearly an affordable, available ingredient. And it also seems that, in turn, treacle tart was a predecessor to shoe fly pie, which is a staple of Amish and Mennonite food culture known as Pennsylvania Dutch cooking. Mm -hmm. And I would love to talk about that in the future because there's a lot to Pennsylvania Dutch. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so in addition to the fact that it's Harry Potter's favorite food, my last fun fact about treacle tart is that it's a Cockney rhyming slang for sweetheart. I used to work with a guy who was from England, and he would do the rhyming slang, and it was so much fun. Okay, so. Aw, what do you remember? Is sweetheart. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. uh, not good things. <laughs> you know, you learn another language, and you always learn the worst things of, of that language. Right. <laughs> you learn the curse words first. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But that's, that's oh, so that's much funny. Fun. I love that. I'll remember that. Yeah, the irony was that of all the ingredients that went into the, the treacle tart today, the easiest one actually for me to, to pull out of the cupboard was the golden syrup. And I had just enough for the recipe. As I said, golden syrup, breadcrumbs, lemon zest, and lemon juice. It's it's a really unusual dessert because it's not as sweet as I would have thought it would be. The, the lemon does bring this beautiful just tartness, kind of a nice counterpoint to the dish. It it almost tastes a little bit like a bread pudding, as, as it would with the breadcrumbs. But yeah, it's just so simple. It was so easy. It should be served warm with like a clotted cream and just didn't have any in the house. So I'm, I'm working on rectifying that. I want to make it again with the official uh, or warm custard. But yeah, that was my pieful day today. When you talk about it being more of a peasant food that kind of makes sense in the fact that the treacle itself was the byproduct of something that would create mm-hmm. something a little bit more luxurious so that makes it makes a lot of sense and it reminds me of depression types of pies that um, were very popular and still are actually here in the states you made a pie out of what you had and if it was vinegar mm-hmm. or if it was lemon juice 
that's how you made your pies. So I love that part of, of learning about the treacle tart. And I also love that I can make one and think about yes. Harry Potter. <laughs> right? Yep. One last thought about treacle and treacle tart. You know, I think one of the reasons why it didn't actually spread in the U.S. as much, and this was a speculation that I've, I read as well, was that maple syrup was so much easier for Americans to come by or yeah. North Americans to come by. And even though we obviously very clearly do sugar refining here in the States and actually have full means to make golden syrup here, we tend not to. Mm-hmm. We just It's just not been something that's entered our culinary lexicon as specifically as right. North Americans. And I don't, maybe don't mean to include Canadians in that because I think obviously there's a lot of British culture that perpetuates in Canada. But it's kind of curious that golden syrups really never ma- made that leap in a great way. Right. Yeah. And, and I suppose probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have corn syrup and that was probably something yeah. that replaced. Although I know we can't replace it with that. But yeah, <laughs> please, please, please no, <laughs> please don't. But but there are wonderful dishes that do use corn syrup. And, and obviously we have it in plenty here in the mm-hmm. States in a way that is not so common in the Commonwealth and you say Australia or New Zealand or Canada as well. Right. Yeah. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin mm-hmm. pie. Oh, it's my favorite. I love it. The custard there's just something, mm. you know, and we talked about this a little bit, um, all of the fall flavors. And this is one of those fall flavors that just really makes me so happy. And it has to be in the fall. You know, you definitely cannot make a pumpkin pie in the spring or in the summer. It just... No, it's, it's not, just not the same. It's not the same. It is not the same at all. So pumpkin pie is got quite the history, actually, as well. I was reading oh, I bet. an article, well, several articles. The pumpkin, actually, when you were talking about the name of treacle, the, the entomology of tre- entomology, is that right? Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Etymology. Et- Et- yeah, Et- one, one, <laughs> one is, one is, one is insects bugs. and the other one is yeah. words. No, <laughs> Et- etymology. 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 Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the right one. <laughs> of treacle. Um, pumpkin, actually, also Greek to French to English. Really? Yeah. So in Greek, the word pepon, P-E-P-O-N, meant large melon. And then the French changed it to pompom. And then mm-hmm. it was changed to pompion in English, and then when it came across the pond, we started calling it pumpkin. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, we're all pretty familiar with the whole Thanksgiving folklore of Indians bringing the early American settlers in Plymouth things to celebrate. What we're not told, actually, is that the pumpkin pies that we know today were not the pumpkin pies that they celebrated with on that first Thanksgiving because they didn't have ovens that could bake pies. So what they think actually happened is that they would take the pumpkins, hollow them out, they would put milk and spices and honey in them and then oh. cook them in the ashes of the fires. So that was oh. probably what the first pumpkin pie looked like. And then from there it obviously has transformed into what we know today. But there were some other fun things that I learned along the way of 
about the pumpkin pie. And I love this one simply because of the name of the cookbook that it was in. It was from the 1670s, and the name of the cookbook is The Queen-Like Closet or Rich Cabinet Stored with All Manner of Rare Receipts for Preserving, Candying, and Cookery. And this is by Hannah Woolley. Wow. Right? <laughs> That's quite a mouthful. I can't imagine a publisher today trying to fit that on. The, front <laughs> of the, the recipe is to make a pumpkin pie. It's actually pumpion. Take a pumpion, pare it, and cut it into thin slices. Dip it into beaten eggs and herbs, shred small, and fry it till it be enough. Oh, my then goodness. It, right? Till it be enough. I think we've talked about this before, about recipes being written for people who know how to cook. I mean, the assumption yes. was that you know when enough is enough. You know yeah. when it's done. So, yes, you fry it till it be enough, then lay it in a pie with butter, raisins, currants, sugar, and sack. And sack is a sherry. And in the bottom, okay. some sharp apples. Then, when it is baked, butter it and serve it on. And I thought, oh, my God, this sounds wow. absolutely delicious. I might have to try this. Oh, yes. <laughs> Send me some. Man, that's a, and that sounds virtually nothing like pumpkin pie as I would no. think of it now. Right, right. And then there was another one, another cookbook, The Complete Cook, expertly prescribing the most ready ways, whether Italian, Spanish, or French, for dressing of flesh <laughs> and fish, ordering of sauces, or making of pastry. <laughs> and that was by W.M., I don't know who WM is, oh, but that's who it was by. Whoever, whoever you are, WM, we salute you. Yes. <laughs> and this one, wow. again, it was a little bit more savory. It had thyme and rosemary and parsley and mm. sweet marjoram. Whoa. But Whoa. it also, yeah, it also had cinnamon, nutmeg, pepper, cloves, six of them. And then this one was a little bit more similar to what we know today. It had the mm -hmm. custard in it, the eggs and the sugar. But it, mm. again, it had the apples that were sliced and put on the yeah. bottom and then currants as well. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's so my imagination is, is running wild right now on a couple of scores. Like I, That's really interesting that these early recipes incorporate apples. Yes. And these are these are cookbooks from England, or yes. are they from that? Okay, these are both from England, and both in the 1670s. So pumpkin pie did come over from England. It wasn't something that that was invented here in the states. We have a cookbook here in the states called The American Cookery by an American Orphan, and that's the title of the book. It's uh, by Amelia Simmons. We don't know a lot about her, but we do know that. She was accredited with publishing the first American cookbook, and it actually was published oh, wow. under her name for 35 years, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. But they were more pumpkin puddings, and they were in a crust. Pumpkin pudding number one, one quart stewed and strained, three pints of cream, nine beaten eggs, sugar, mace, nutmeg, laid into paste number seven or three with a dough spur, cross and checker it and baked in dishes three quarters of an hour. And then pumpkin pudding number two, one quart of milk, one pint of pumpkin, four eggs, molasses, allspice, 
and ginger in a crust bake one hour. Mm. So those are really more similar to what we mm. know as the pumpkin pie of today. Yeah. You know what, Riff, I'm feeling like going off on with, with regard, and I'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll circle back because I won't go very far on my tangent, is replacing the milk with chai tea. Oh, now I do have to say that my friend Kate McDermott, who is the pie goddess, mm-hmm. has a new cookbook out called Pie Camp. I tend to be a pretty purist when it comes to my pumpkin pie, but she does have a pumpkin pie recipe in there that has buttermilk and bourbon. Oh, yes, please. Which also oh, I will I will fall on that sword. <laughs> right? <laughs> I will I will I will be the impurist that goes that goes for that. <laughs> I'm thinking I might have to give that one a try this Thanksgiving. Well, you know, you can you can probably do it without, you know, any guilt. And I know some folks feel guilty about eating desserts and I'm not one of them and and I I hope everyone gets at least one slice of something that they love that they don't feel bad about. But the fun fact I have about pumpkin pie is that a serving of pumpkin pie counts as a serving of vegetables. At least this version, well, I mean, actually the British versions probably would have as well. They're actually so nutrient rich that they count as veggies. Yes, and that is why I do not feel guilty the next morning when I have it for breakfast. Exactly. You're just, you know, it's part of a well-balanced breakfast. Exactly. Was there more about pumpkin pie? Because I I didn't want to interrupt you, but I did. (laughs) Let's see, what else did I find out? Well, so Abraham Lincoln wanted to make Thanksgiving a national holiday in 1863. And Mm -hmm. the Confederacy felt like they were having this Yankee tradition imposed upon them. Hmm. And there was an editorialist in Richmond, Virginia, that wrote... This is an annual custom of that people, heretofore celebrated with devout oblations to themselves of pumpkin pie and roast turkey. <laughs> I love that. This is an annual custom of that people. Of that people. Of that Whoa. people. Yeah. Wow. So, oh, and huh. then Libby's. This is very interesting. So the Libby's yes. that we know and love today, they actually started out as a meatpacking company. Really? Yes. Yep. That's a that's a surprise. Yeah, I was really surprised to find that out too. Do they no. still do meat packing? I don't. Or is it really? I don't know if they do. I am gonna say no, but I don't know the answer to that for sure. Oh, but maybe wow. we can put that in the show notes. You know, it's it's funny because this is not the first time that we've had a discussion about stuff that it's come from the late 1800s or the you know the late 19th century depends on how you like to talk about Mm -hmm. your history dates gosh there were so many foods that we have today that originated from that time obviously the industrial revolution played a large part of that as far as the canning and the packaging and the the automation of things but i was really struck when i was doing my research and and you know you with yours just how much stuff does seem to kind of originate from that time and how many of these brands actually are still around right made a very clear hallmark on exactly on our cuisine yeah yeah Hmm. and i also found out that the over the river and through the wood is Mm -hmm. actually a poem about new england thanksgiving and it was written by lydia maria child who was an abolitionist and the end of that 
um, poem says, hurrah for the pumpkin pie. And I'm like, I always thought Over the River and Through the Woods was about Christmas. Yeah, me too. So that was a that was a fun fact to find out. But Aww. apparently there were a lot of abolitionists who were really working towards having Thanksgiving as a, a national holiday. So pumpkin pie had this this kind of subculture within the yeah. abolitionists culture too. So that was that was another interesting fact that I found out. That is super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So and I, this is directly this quote is directly from the History Channel. So next time you open a can, talking about Libby's, next time you open a can, consider the past, the centuries of industrialists, editors, housewives, anti-slavery firebrands, culinary experimenters, and Mesoamerican agriculturists who combined labors to make your pumpkin pie possible. Wow. And, you know, I mean, I think that we often forget about how many people it takes to bring yeah. something to our tables. And I I yeah. just really thought that that was a really beautiful sentiment to have at the end of this little piece of history about pumpkin pie. It is. I think I'm going to go eat a piece of treacle tart now. Oh, I wish I could join you. But before you go, let's tell our audience what they can expect next week. Oh, we get to talk about comfort food next time. And we have discovered that what people really like about comfort food is when it's naughty. And that there's really a strong definition of what foods are good or virtuous and which ones are bad or evil. And you'll have to tune in to see what we have to say about that. Indeed.